We're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to Isaiah chapter 40. You'll find our reading this morning on page 600 of the Pew Bibles, page 600. Uh, Last week we looked at Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 11, and this week we're moving on in this chapter to look at verses 11 to 26. So uh, a slightly longer section this morning, but we're going to read it together just now. Isaiah chapter 40, we're beginning at verse 11 And we're reading down to verse 26. Page 600 of the Pew Bibles. And as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. And we remember what Isaiah 40 verse 8 says. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 11 then. Verse 12, sorry. Who, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver change. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Amen. And we thank God for his living, active word to us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the servant king, the Lord Jesus, the one who has served us so that we might know you and so that we might serve others. We thank you for a great weekend as a church family. We thank you for all of your goodness to us, for how you've blessed us through from Thursday right through to this morning. We pray that you would continue to be with us, that you would continue to help us in these moments. Uh, We're thankful for for how you're working among among us, moving among us, uh, building us up to be your people. 
We thank you for the collective work of our church family over this weekend. We thank you that you've bonded us together, that you've helped us to work together for your glory. And we pray now that as many of us are tired after the past few days, that you would help us to focus, that you'd help us to listen. Help us to be conscious that the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word is the one thing, the only thing, that will stand forever. Father, help us as we look at the next part of Isaiah chapter 40. Guide us, direct us, and bring all glory to Christ, we pray, for his sake. Amen. You'll find Isaiah chapter 40 on page 600 of the Pew Bibles, and you'll find it really helpful to turn to that passage and have it open in front of you this morning. Uh, Over these Christmas weeks, we're walking our way through Isaiah 40, this beautiful, majestic chapter. Uh, This is the middle sermon of the series. We're going to have three studies on the chapter in total. Uh, We'll finish looking at it in two weeks' time, as next Sunday morning is our Sunday school and Bible class family service. Uh, Since I was a child, I have worn glasses. I think I got them when I was in about P3, and I've worn them ever since. Uh, My prescription is quite a strong one, and like you, if you wear glasses, I try and go regularly to make, that, make, sure that my, make sure that my prescription is just right. Uh, even if you don't wear glasses, you've maybe played that game. don't think it is a name, so I'm going to give it one. That game, How Blind Are You? Uh, it's the game where you try on someone else's glasses and more often than not say, Wow, you are really blind. Um, if those of us who wear glasses were to swap and try on each other's frames, we would more than likely be slightly disorientated. It would probably give us a sore head and wouldn't be much fun at all. Each individual prescription is different, and therefore each pair of glasses is different. Yet there's a prescription that all of us share, glasses or no glasses. It's a spiritual prescription, and it's this. It's our view of God. All of us view God or think of God in different ways, but there's only one way that we're to see him and view him, and that's through what we're told about him in the Bible. One of the big issues in the modern church is that the glory of God, the majesty of God, sits lightly on believers today. It's possibly the fault of preachers who who don't say, behold your God, think about who it is you're you're coming to worship often enough. But it's possibly also because we've moved moved to a position where church is serving us rather than us serving the church and worshiping God for who he is. Well, what the verses before us this morning do is that they give us a biblical, proper view of who God is. That This is the prescription through which we need to view God. There are, these are the only lenses that are right and true. And the thing about them is that it's not us seeing God through our own eyes. Isaiah shows us God through God's eyes. If we see or view God through our own eyes, will we diminish him without meaning to or even realizing it? But if we see God through God's eyes it changes how we see everything else. In this passage, Isaiah shows us the whole universe through God's eyes. Last week, we looked at the opening 11 verses of Isaiah 40. God has promised to comfort his people and reveal his glory. But the question that readers in Isaiah's day would have had, the question that you maybe had after last week is, can God keep that promise? Can God keep that promise? He's promised comfort and grace and to reveal his glory. Can he keep that promise? And instead of telling us why he can and will, we're told who he is. And by knowing who he is, we can know that he will keep his promise, that he will keep his word. 
It's as we're directed back to the character of God that we realize how reliable he is. The first readers of these verses were weary and downtrodden. Remember, this chapter is addressed to the remnant who are returning from exile in Babylon. They were a small community. They were a vulnerable community. But God says to them, I'm with you. I'm on your side. So some of us here this morning can perhaps identify with those feelings. We feel under pressure. We feel vulnerable. There's a lot coming in on us at the moment. Through the true story of Christmas and through the birth of Christ, we can know that Emmanuel is with us, that God is with us. It's very, very comforting to hear someone say to you, I am with you. But how much of a comfort it is actually depends on who is speaking and whether or not they have the power to help. As we go through this passage today, you, you need to remember that this is the God who says, I am with you. And who's coming to be with us, we celebrate at Christmas. This passage tells us five things about God. The structure is actually very clever. If you've studied poetry at any point, even years ago at school, you might remember that poems can be broken down using the first few letters of the alphabet. Isaiah 40, 12 to 26 works like this. It works A, B, C, B, A. It starts and ends by talking about how God is the creator. In the middle, it tells us about how he is Lord. And in the center, we're told about his uniqueness. Think of it like a sandwich. Two slices of bread on the outside, two slices of ham in between, and a slice of cheese in the middle to seal the deal. That structure will make sense as we work our way through these verses. We have five things to think about, but each point won't be overly long. So can God keep the promises he has made in the previous verses? He's promised comfort and grace, tidings of comfort and joy. Can he keep that promise? What is he like? And how should we view him? What is the prescription he gives us? Well, here's the first thing. God is the wise creator. God is the wise creator. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? This verse gives us an amazing picture. It actually gives us one big picture with five little pictures. How much water can you hold in the palm of your hand? And how long is it before it begins to slip out and away? The, the waters of all the oceans, lakes and rivers are held as one little pool in God's cupped hand. What, what, what kind of load can your hands cope with? What is their span? The, the heavens have been marked off by the span between God's outstretched thumb and little finger, along with the earth, the mountains and the hills. Isaiah takes in the whole creation. The five little pictures are the waters, the heavens, the earth, the mountains, and the hills. And he essentially asks, who else but God can weigh it, measure it, determine it with perfect precision and ease? To us, it's, it's massive. To God, it's, it's easily manageable. And then there's verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? When God created everything, he needed nothing. All the ideas, all the genius were his alone. There was no one saying with him, uh, saying to him, what about this? Why don't you include that? Or have you thought about this or putting that in there? He imagined every tropical fish. He established every function of gravity. 
He shaped galaxies as irregular, spiral and elliptical. He came up with it all by himself alone, out of his own super intelligence. God, the wise creator, needs no one else. And that includes you and me. That's because he's also the immense Lord. The wise creator, second point is that he's the immense Lord. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Now, we all know what a bucket is. If you wash your car, you know what a bucket is. If you clean bathrooms, you know what a bucket is. If you were carrying a bucket full of water across the yard or through the house and it jolted and some spilt out, would you go back and refill the bucket? You wouldn't. A drop or two doesn't really matter. So so it is with God's deployment of the nations in his plan for history. Now, it's important to say that God doesn't despise the nations. That's not what verse 15 is saying. God loves the nations. He sent Jesus to save them. They're not worthless, but they derive their worth from him alone. The nations, though, are blind to God's glory and pursue their own self-exaltation and resist his kingdom. Uh, the, the, The opening section of this Uh, The opening of this section makes us feel uncomfortable on an individual level. God doesn't need us. He's the wise creator. But verse 15 makes us uncomfortable collectively as humanity. The nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. The G8, the G7, the United Nations, the European Union, the, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, a drop in the bucket, splat. Now, is this for real? The nations are like, uh, are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Well, that's what it says. So some of you might be old enough to remember getting potatoes from the shop and getting them weighed on the scale and then bagging them up. Once you had all your potatoes in the bag, you never said, oh, I'll, I'll take the dust as well. I'd really like to take my dust with me today. The dust doesn't even register in the scale. It was just there. And it's the same with the nations in terms of God's view of them. They don't even register. And then you think about the coastlands, the sweeping Mediterranean coastlands, the rugged coastlands of Ireland stretching from Donegal in the north to Cork in the south. Well, what what does God do with them or, or what can he do with them? He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. You know when you break a glass jar or tumbler in the kitchen it smashes to smithereens and then you get out the dustpan and brush and clean it up that's what this is saying here those amazing coastlands those panoramic views that we admire and look at god can just sweep them up now this is a metaphor and it's saying that this is who god is that this is the prescription the view of god we need to have seeing god through god's eyes Verse 15 puts us in our place, doesn't it? We're so small and frail, and God is so vast and so powerful. He's the immense Lord. As well as that, God is the only God. That's our third point this morning. God is the only God. Uh, Look at verse 18. This is the central and key verse of the passage, so it's important that you look at what it says. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? Isaiah was a prophet of God who served God's people by preaching and caring for their souls. In that way, we can say he was a pastor. And we get an insight into his pastoral heart because he he shows us our most urgent need here. 
He knows that the human heart is driven by the desire to make God fit into our pockets. The human heart reduces God to our own categories, but, but Isaiah says, no, 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 God is unique. The Bible often describes God with comparisons from creation. He's like a lion, he's like a fountain, he's like a tar, he's like a husband, he's like a father, he's like a soldier, and so on. But verses like verse 18 remind us that, that no analogy from creation can say it all. When we see God through God's eyes, he doesn't fit into any of our boxes or pockets. He goes beyond any category that we can ever come up with. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? The, the, the implicit answer is, is, is no one or nothing, which is why Isaiah says what he says next. Uh, verse 19 and following, he says, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Now, Isaiah doesn't comment or criticize idol making. You should notice that he just describes it. Just scan your eye down what he says. He's, he's describing all, uh, he's describing idol making and that, that, that's all he really needs to do. And that's because idol making is too stupid to require comment. His serious tones and careful observations are full of sarcasm. Idols might look great and inspire awe and mystery, but all they are is what they are. And that's why we should never derive our sense of worth, find our identity, or look for hope in anything from creation. It will rot. It's why we must delight that God alone is our salvation. His uniqueness is our salvation and our rescue. So, so, so far we've covered A, B, and C of this passage. Now we're going back to B and to the truth that God is Lord. He is the wise creator, the immense Lord, the only God, and he's also the active Lord. Let's read verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Uh, as we've said, Isaiah is a wise pastor and he moves from speaking about our most urgent need to, to challenging us about our view of the truth. He, he, he argues with us because what we know to be true doesn't always make an impact on us. But it helps when we stop seeing the glory of God through our own eyes and begin to see it through his own eyes. The point of what comes after verse 21, verses 22 to 24, is that God is the active Lord. He is at work in our world today. He, he is the one who raises up leaders and brings them down again. Brilliant illustration of this this week. But Boris Johnson was the prime minister, the leader of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But now he's not. And this week he had to sit with his tail between his legs at the COVID inquiry during the week. The power brokers seem so formidable, so important to us, so significant. But to God, they're like grasshoppers. You ever seen a grasshopper? You've probably heard them, but they're hard to spot. That's how the world leaders, the, the movers and shakers look to God. They're hard to spot. They're also like little seeds, scarcely planted, scarcely sown. And God just simply blows on them. <laughs> With zero, with zero effort on his part, and they're just gone. And that makes God himself 
the only world figure, the only mover and shaker really to fear, doesn't it? This passage is like a sandwich. Two slices of bread on the outside, two slices of ham in between, and a slice of cheese in the middle to seal the deal. We're nearly done because we've come to the second slice of bread. God is the wise creator, the immense Lord, the only God, the active Lord, and finally, the watchful creator. Verse 25 says this. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. We can love the holiness of God because his holiness means he's in a category all of his own. We need someone who is not like us. Only a holy, incomparable God can save us. And Isaiah drives this home with one final question in verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Now, what's Isaiah talking about there? What's he, what's he referencing? Well, well, he's talking about the stars. And he's talking about the stars, and this is his advice. He, he essentially says, go outside on a clear night and look up. And don't take it all for granted. Think about who created the stars that you can see. That there's a God in heaven who brings them out every night, one by one. He calls each of them by name. This vast universe we live in is sustained moment by moment by the greatness of his might. And nothing, not the smallest star, falls through the cracks. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Now remember this was written for God's people coming out of exile in Babylon. The Babylonians were astrologers. That's why Isaiah finishes by talking about the stars. The heavenly stars that the Babylonians worshipped and maybe made God's people worship too are in fact a display of God's glory. Through the stars, God wants us to see something about himself. The God who brings out the stars in number every night, who calls them by name, this God has made a promise to us about the broken, sinful world we live in. He has promised us himself in all his glory. Now, where does Christmas come into all of this? Well, think about the people who were among the first to meet Christ. Richard Patton's going to be with us tonight, and he's going to tell us more about them. Wise men came from the east, having followed a star. And what is it they did when they met Christ, came into Christ's presence? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him their very best. They knew that the star wasn't what they needed to worship. He had their confidence because he was God come down to earth. They saw something of his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Do you think this God who who manages the universe, right right down to the faintest, tiniest little star, do you you think this God who who has come among us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ will lose track of you? It's impossible. just can't happen. God is the wise creator, the immense Lord, the only God, the active Lord, and finally he's the watchful creator. Our view of him should really be much greater than what it is. This passage is a corrective to our normal prescription. It corrects our lenses, it corrects our vision, 
and shows us just how amazing our God is. He has promised comfort and grace and to reveal his glory. Can he keep that promise? Does he really have the power? Isaiah 40, 12 to 26 says, beyond all measure, beyond all comparison, and beyond all rivals. With all that said, there are really two strands of application for us. One strand for those of us who know and love this wise, immense, active, and watchful God, and one strand for those of you who don't. First of all, those of us who know and love him, this passage really puts an end to the notion of us saying, I think I'll do God a favor and go to church. Do you ever think like that? Do you ever roll out of bed on a Sunday morning and think, well, God needs my support this morning. I think I'll go to church. Church isn't about us. It's about him. He doesn't need our support. He doesn't need our protection. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us as backup when it comes to facing down all his opponents. He's altogether sufficient in himself. He needs no counselors. He's never asked for anybody's advice. He didn't ask for advice when it came to making the universe. And he's promised that all who come to him through Christ will find their wisdom, righteousness, and acceptance in him. This passage should give us real confidence in God. We have been able to view him through his eyes. He is able to do what he has promised. The grass withers, the flower fades, but his word will stand forever. The executive factor in the ebb and flow in life is the spirit of God. We should trust him and behold him and view him through the right prescription. And when we do that, we'll worship him in the way that he wants us to. We'll serve him by giving our time, our talents, our energy. And we realize that it's, it's really stupid to make our worship idols. There's no one who compares to him. In our day and age, in the month running up to, to the madness that is Christmas, not buying to the cultural pressures and idols of our day is what will make us shine like stars in this, in this crooked and wicked generation. And also, don't forget this chapter was written for people who were weary and downtrodden. It was for the remnant returning from exile who were small and vulnerable. It's also for us, those of us who are under pressure, for those of us who find Christmas hard. God says to us, just as he did to those exiles all those years ago, I'm with you. I'm on your side. And we see that so clearly through the Christmas story. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the first application. Here's the second. And it's for you if you're not a Christian. Do you know how many questions there are in this passage? It's framed around lots of different questions. They're mostly rhetorical, which means that Isaiah is asking them, but he knows the answer. How many questions are there? There are 11. Yet there's only really one that matters for you, and it's this. Will you make room in your heart for this wise, immense, active, and watchful God to write his story in your life this Christmas? The astonishing thing about this passage is that it describes the God who has come down into our world. Christmas is a time when we chase after presents, people, and food, but actually, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the mystery of his coming. The mystery that the wise creator, the one who was God's agent of creation is the word made flesh, has come among us and we have seen his glory. The mystery that the immense Lord who who revealed his power and authority through miracle after miracle 
is with us. The mystery that the only God, the way, the truth, and the life would come into our world to save sinners like you and me. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? The thing is you do hear every week. And it's the same thing. And you do understand because it's, it's said plainly and simply every week. But you've never bowed the knee to Christ. Well, what, what is it that's holding you back? Well, what's stopping you? What's blocking you from coming to him? This is who he is. He's the wise creator. He's the immense Lord. He's the only God. He's the active Lord. And he's the watchful creator. And he has come down in the person of his son to save sinners like you. Eleven questions in the passage. Only one that really matters. This Christmas, will you make room in your heart for this God to write his story in your life? Let's pray together. Lord, we feel really small. We feel really weak. But we worship you for who you are this morning. You're the wise creator, the immense Lord, the only God, the active Lord, and the watchful creator. And you have come among us. Emmanuel, God with us. How we thank you for the story of Christmas. How we thank you for the coming of the Lord Jesus. How we thank you for how good you are to us, despite our sin and rebellion. We praise you for your power, your might, your wisdom and strength. And we pray that at this Christmas time, we would be very conscious of who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray that this Christmas, you would also write your story in the lives of people who have never trusted you, that they might come to know Jesus as their Savior, Lord and King for the first time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it will stand forever. And we pray that it would linger in our hearts today and throughout the rest of the week. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.